these spiritual apparitions at the foot of the bed or Jesus came to talk to them or something like that. But really what's happening is they're eating pizza too late. And uh, so they're not, they're not seeing Jesus at the foot of the bed. They're, they're seeing the results of uh, acid reflux. That's what's, what's really going on. So, Amen. All right, I'm glad that you're here this morning. And uh, I want you to please take your Bible and turn to the book of Luke. And I would like for you to stand, please. Luke chapter 7. That's where we're going to begin reading. Or. Luke chapter 7. Let's go ahead and stand. I'm going to begin reading to you at verse number 36 this morning. And we're going to read down to the end of the chapter. And again here this morning, this message, just like the one I preached last night, is geared for the young people. But there will certainly be portions of it that will be applicable to us that are older. And uh, so I hope it will help and minister to every one of us in here uh, this morning. But Luke chapter 7, we'll begin reading at verse number 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors, the one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she hath washed my feet with tears. Wipe them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. And I want everybody in here to pay careful attention. This may be the key verse in this entire passage. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they sat at meat with him. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? Oh, I'd like to tell you who he is. Amen. And he said to the woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. And... Uh, I'm going to preach to you just for a few minutes this morning on this subject. The danger of being good. I want you to be good. But you must be warned that there's a danger in it. Pastor, would you pray for me? And then we'll keep going. 
Heavenly Father, Lord, we do come before you, and God, I just ask now that you give Brother Knowles a fresh unction from on high. Please. Father, that your Holy Spirit can, can, can take control of his mind, his mouth, yes. the actions of his hands and feet. Father, that your Holy Spirit, Father, would work in the hearts of each and every person that's yes. here this morning, and that Jesus can have his way and his will in our hearts and minds. And Father, we just pray that you would work exceedingly abundantly above everything we could ask or think. Father, that you protect each mind, especially the man of God, from any spiritual attack. Please. Father, that you would just give him clarity of thought. Please. And Father, Lord, that uh, his speech would be seasoned with salt, Father, yes. and that you would speak directly through him to us. Please. And Father, in all things, Lord, we give you one, the, the praise, the honor, and the glory. Yes, Lord. Seeking for your spirit to work in our hearts, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, this is a wonderful story in the Bible, and there are some characters involved in this story. You have a Pharisee, you have the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a woman that uh, come from a very sinful lifestyle, but now she's um, really showing affection and love for the Lord Jesus Christ, and you put them all, and they all wind up in the same house, and some great things are going on, but there's absolutely a great lesson to be learned from this story, and we need to get, get a hold of it. Now, listen. I believe, at least what my understanding is, that most of you, and I'm speaking to the young folks especially here to, uh, this morning, most of you here today are saved and you were raised in a good home. You're a member of a good church. Amen. And you have not been scarred by sin like many of us older people in here today have been scarred by sin. And you know what I say about that, young people? Praise the Lord. Thank God. It's a wonderful thing. It's wonderful. Now, I was not raised in a Christian home. And unfortunately, to my regret, uh, I got into some sin as a teenager that has and will affect me to some degree in my mind and in my body and other ways for the rest of my life. And that's just absolutely the truth. But I want to tell you something. I want you to listen to me. I've heard, even heard some uh, teenagers talk about not having a testimony. Somehow we think when we have a testimony service, the guy that gets up and talks about the gruesome lifestyle he was saved out of is a great testimony. And then some teenager stands up and gives a testimony that I've never put a drop of liquor to my lips. I've never taken any drugs. The first time I had any type of sexual relationship was after I got married. And somehow that's some kind of boring, mundane testimony. And I say hogwash to that. That is not a boring, mundane testimony. That's a wonderful testimony. And I wish I had that testimony. And I don't have that testimony. And it's... And I'm telling you, the effects of sin will bother you and, and go on in your adult uh, life even after you're a child and you commit some of these things. So I think the greatest testimony that anybody can have in here, and hopefully many of you have an opportunity to have that testimony, is to get saved at a young age and be raised by a good mom and daddy and be put into a good church and avoid all that mess that many of us did not avoid. Amen? I know that's what your pastor and associate pastor and youth pastor and deacon and your parents and everybody else wants for you. And I know that's what God wants for you. And, and I want that for you very much. However, I, I do want to warn you of some dangers 
that sometimes come along with being good. Now, let me, let me explain something to you, what I mean when I say being good, because the first thing somebody's going to say is, there's none good, no, not one. And that is exactly right, but that passage is talking about somebody approaching for Christ or God for salvation. There is nobody that's good when it comes to being saved or doing right or doing morally right. We are all rotten. We are all lost. We are all sinful. And there's no none good, no, not one when it comes to salvation. But you read in other places in that Bible where it uses the word good and talks about a good man. So you can be good. You can't be good if you try to get to heaven on your own. But you can be a good young man. You can be a good young lady. You can be a good adult. You can be a good woman, a good man. Uh, God wants us to be good. And I hope and pray, I really hope and pray that I'm preaching to some good youth here this morning. But I want to warn you, there's some dangers that come along with being good. I hope any, and I, want, I just have to say this because I hope none of you young folks get into gross sin. I hope you don't get out in the world. I hope you don't mess up your life and booger it up and all like many folks have. I hope and pray that for you. But if you do, and I pray you don't, or if there's some young person here that already has, let me tell you the good news about that too, that Jesus Christ is a loving and merciful God. He will forgive you and clean you up and restore you. And I want to tell you this, there's people here that will love you through it, and if you just want somebody extra down in Tennessee, I don't care how you boogered up your life or how you mess it up, when you seek repentance and you want restoration and you want some mercy and grace and love from somebody, you can call me. I'll be there. I'll be there with arms wide open. We won't ever bring it up again because Christ doesn't bring it up again. Thank God he doesn't bring up a lot of stuff in my life. Thank God. Thank God that's the way we ought to treat these young people or anybody else that gets out into sin. That's the way we ought to approach them. However, after years of pastoring and raising a son of my own, I, I see three things I just want to quickly give to you this morning that young folks are going to have to watch out for and be aware of. And it's three things that many young people who are saved and you've wisely avoided the world, thank God. But there's some three things that you'll lack if you're not careful. And I'm going to give you the dangers of being good. Number one, you'll lack humility. And the Pharisee here in this passage, verse number 39, realized that she was a great sinner. But somehow he forgot he was too. And what the Pharisees didn't understand is they were the biggest sinners in God's eyes. Now, I'm not trying to, I try to stay away from anything theological when I'm in another man's pulpit. But I think I'm on good grounds here to tell you that we have a Baptist lie. I was told as a young, when I, started got in the, when I first got in the ministry, of course, it was Southern Baptist, so you're told a lot of things. But I was told that all sin is the same. And that's absolutely unscriptural. All sin is not the same. There's many passages that will tell you that. Now, all sin will send you to hell. All sin must be accounted for. All, all sin needs the blood of Christ. But there's some sins that Bible talks about. He that doeth so-and-so has committed the greater sin. Christ said if the works had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah that were done here in Capernaum, they would have got right with God. 
but you're in more trouble at the judgment, he says, Capernaum, because you have me walking right through here than Sodom and Gomorrah. Over and over I can tell you that some sins are in fact worse than other sins and some sins show a darker degree of your heart. If I get out here and speed today and I rebel against the speed limit, that shows something about my heart. But, but if I got mad today and went in McDonald's and killed a bunch of people I don't even know, now you think that's the same? You got rocks for brains. That's not the same. God doesn't look at it the same. It's not the same. So, so everybody, everybody needs to understand here this morning that all sin is not the same. You don't pay for it the same. I'm talking about now every sin again has to be paid for by the blood of Jesus, but you're not held accountable as much for, for different sin. Some sins show a darker degree of your heart, all that kind of stuff. But let me tell you what I have found out. In studying the Bible, if I could say, what is the one thing that's wound more people up in hell, wrecked more Christians' life, and messed them up and made them ineffective. And what is the thing that that Bible says that not only will God not have anything to do with you if you have this, but He'll actually resist you. He'll push you away. Practically speaking for us that are saved. It's pride. It's pride. And when you get to looking at yourself and saying, look at me and look how I've done and look how clean I am and look what I've done and I can't believe, look at her, look at him and all those tattoos and all those marks and all that. Look at that long hair there and look at that, look at that worldly music they just drove by and huh, huh, uh-huh. You, 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 you're heading for disaster, folks. I remember when me and my wife first got among the the uh, Bible believers, and we were Southern Baptists, and neither one of us was raised in a Christian home. My wife was raised in Pennsylvania, born and raised. I was born and raised in South Alabama, and we got together, and nothing. we didn't have a foundation or anything, but we just knew we wanted to do right, and we wanted to be clean, and we wanted to live for the Lord, and we had a right motive about it, and, we, and our heart was right. But the problem is <laughs> that we so much wanted to do right that we found out we thought everybody else is doing wrong. And so we went through that self-righteous stage for about a couple of years. Anybody in here ever been through that little self-righteous stage? I can't believe God didn't throw up every time he looked our way. I can't believe God didn't say, you bunch of stinking hypocrites. Y'all all puffed up now about how you dress. How did you use to dress? You're all puffed up now about what you don't watch. How, what did you used to watch? You think you're better than somebody else and you're looking over there at these other Christians and these charismatic Christians and Southern Baptist Christians. They don't dress and act and talk like you. And let me tell you something. I'm more pleased with that NIV toter over there than I am you, Mr. King James, man, because their heart is soft and yours is puffed up. Yes, sir. That's exactly right. You better watch that stuff. You better watch that stuff. You know what God will do? He'll put you on the shelf. He won't touch you. He won't fool with you in your squeaky clean looks right now. And he'll go down the road to the Southern Baptist NIV contemporary Christian rock dude and meet with him before he will you. Because his heart is soft. You understand what I'm saying? You better get that. You better get that. There's a danger of being good. I told you before we got started, you ought to be good. You ought to thank God if you're good. You ought to thank God. The perfect testimony is that you stay away from that mess. You ought to thank God you're in this church with your preacher, and your associate, and your youth pastor, and all the, and the parents you have. That's pleasing to God. 
better watch it. You better watch it. You get to thinking, look at me and look at them and look what. Listen, it's just the grace of God, man. Just the grace of God. You think God was just flipping a coin? He said, oh, I'll put him here. And I'll flip this coin. I'll put him down there in Mexico with all the other Catholics poor. And not like I've been down there to, to, to preach to some of them. Didn't even have a floor in their house. Didn't have no electricity. I'll flip a coin. I'll put him over there in China. Uh-huh. I'll flip a coin. No, God didn't flipping coins. It's, do you know how wonderful it is to be born in America? I know God's going to judge America and wipe us out and there won't be America. I, I got all that, but I thank God I'm born in America. I thank God. I'm not proud to be an American, but I'm very thankful and I love the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for putting me in America. I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm appreci- I appreciate it. Oh, what about if you weren't? You think you might be sitting here doing as good as you're doing now? Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe you just followed your own Muslim, your own Muslim mom and daddy straight to hell. You reckon you might? You might. You better thank God there's, no, there's nothing for any of us in here to get puffed up about. Nothing. It's all the grace of God. It's all His mercy. It's all His help. It's all His hope. And I want you to understand that. You're going to be tempted not to think of yourself so bad. And maybe you need to think about it like this. The reason I'm not so bad is I'm so blessed. Would you look at it like that? The reason I'm not so bad is I'm so blessed. And listen, folks, we all go through that self-righteous stage, but I'm warning you of that. And I may not even be talking to a youth here. I may be talking to somebody when it was me, when it happened to me. I was in my early 20s. When it happened to her, it was in her early 20s. And we just went through that, and nobody was, nobody was as close to God as us. And look at those harlots going down the road with their clothing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I thank God he's a merciful, loving God so we could get through that nonsense. To whom much is given... Much is required, young people. And God's given you a lot. So don't get prideful and boastful. He's going to demand a lot of you. Now, he'll give you the grace to do it. He's not going to expect more of you than you can give. But if you want to know that you're good and believe that you're good, and I believe that you are, and if you're not, please don't come up here and tell me and bust my bubble. I want to leave here just as naive as I can be thinking all of you are wonderful. Really, I do. My wife will tell you that. I hate to hear bad stuff. on, I, And I can get fooled easily. I must not have no discernment. I just think everybody's good and everybody's nice and everybody loves the Lord. And then all these people start talking about me at the church and they leave the church and get mad with me. I'm like, I thought they loved me. And Darby was like, I saw red flags about her three years ago. I okay. I'm just gullible, man. You can do me like that. I think I, I want to. Th- I really want to think good of people. But you better watch that stuff. <laughs> if you are good, God going to demand a little bit more out of you. Number two, you better watch this. Not only is there a lack of of uh, humility, this is one of the main verses in this passage. There's a lack of love, and it's. It's going to be difficult, but not impossible. And at the end of this thing, I'm going to give you a few statements to help you. But it's going to be difficult to love the Lord like you ought to when you haven't been rescued from a terrible life. 
Now, I'm not like these other preachers. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, if any preacher's ever said this or done this, I'm not picking them out or picking on them. But I have heard the preaching of second and third dud, generation duds. You've heard that? Okay, and there may be some truth to it. All that I'm going to say is this. You don't have to be a second and third generation dud. You can be a second and third generation that loves the Lord Jesus Christ more than your mom and daddy did. Amen. Amen. That's all up to you. You don't have to fail just because, well, my mom and daddy and my granddaddy was this lost pagan and my, my daddy was raised up in an abusive house and he got saved and he got gloriously saved and God forgave him all this and he just loved the Lord and now it's all been handed to us and we've taken it all for granted and now we're zeros as Christians. Yes, yes, that happens often, but it doesn't have to. It doesn't, happen, has to happen. it doesn't have to happen with any of you here. You have a free will. I know Laodicea is here. I know what's coming. But this church doesn't have to uh, succumb to Laodicea. You don't have to succumb to Laodicea. You can live right. This church can do right. We can finish right. It's not preordained that we fail. You can do right. I'm just warning you that it's more difficult you take some of us older people your pastor brother Mike and some of us that grew up like some of us did and raised like some of us were raised and when we finally finally get our heads straightened about out about how God, what God has delivered us from we are overcome with joy and emotion and love and sometimes it's just more difficult when you've never been rescued out of the gutter you don't see the difference between living in the gutter and living in grace. But I want to remind you that you can, and I'll talk about this in a moment, you can love the Lord your God just as much as I do or anybody else in here. But you need to be warned about it. There's a danger that you're not going to love God as much as some of us. And you're not going to have empathy and sympathy for some of these folks like some of us. You see, when I see somebody out there that's boogered up their life, I think about me. I think about what I was raised in. Twelve years old, twelve years old, falling down drunk. Me, with a drunkard daddy, living in poverty because he drank it all up. So I can have mercy on a kid or somebody like that. It's easier for me. It's not going to be as easy for you. Yet God wants you to have it. You know what God wants you to do? He don't ever want you to put a, a drop of liquor to your lips. Ever. But He wants you to love and be merciful to those that have. And be in the ministry of reconciliation and restoration. So we have to watch out, number one, for a lack of humility. That's the danger of being good. Number two is a lack of love. And number three, you can have a lack of thankfulness. You know, the older I get in my, in my ministry, the more I have began to realize that thankfulness with God is a real big deal. It will go a long ways. And I'm telling I'm not, now listen, I'm not saying that he's not concerned about you confessing your sin and keeping your sin right. I believe that he is. But I tell you what, if he knows that you're truly sorry and you feel bad about being so pitiful and you love him and you're thankful for what he's given you, 
I believe that that goes a long way with your fellowship with God, even more than being squeaky clean. Because if you're squeaky clean and you're unthankful and you're not very loving and you're puffed up, that don't mean anything to him. Why do you think God blessed David so much? <laughs> I used to look at David's life, Pastor, and I think, what in the world is God so excited about David? I mean, I've never run around on my wife. I've never killed anybody. And I'm nothing like David, especially in God's eyes, the way he looks at him. He not only said that he loved him, he liked him. He liked, he liked David. You know, I love all Christians, but there are several I don't like. I mean, just be truthful. <laughs> what do you think it was with David? He had all that sin. Then he goes and he numbers Israel. And, and, and one thing that we don't think about is that time when, uh, when he's dealing with Nabal and Abigail. He was going to go, even in Old Testament standards, he was going to kill him unrighteously. He's going to go kill everybody. If it was. The only one that day that had any sense was Abigail. She, she straightened the woman straightened the whole thing out. If he hadn't listened to her, he would have murdered all these people, innocent people. They didn't deserve death. The one that did deserve to die, God got him the next day. He got Nabal. But you think about that. You think about David's life. Why did God think so much of David? It certainly wasn't because he was clean always. David was a good sinner, but he was a good repenter. And the two times you read in that Bible where God sent two different men to confront him about his sin, he didn't jump up and say, I'm the king, I have you, no, I'll put you in jail, you'll never see the daylight again. No, he said, I'm the man, I'm the man, I did it, it's my fault, I'm sorry. And how many Psalms have you read where David is expressing his thankfulness to God? I was just a poor little shepherd boy out there in the middle of nowhere with nothing, nobody even concerned about me. And look what God did for me. And all those psalms that was used in temple worship, and we're still reading them today, praising the Lord for what he did for them because he had thankfulness. And sometimes when you're good, the danger of being good is that, listen to me, young people, you will take your good life for granted. You don't realize that the great overwhelming majority of people don't have it like you. They haven't been afforded the opportunities you have. And you won't understand that. And that's a terrible thing because that's a danger of being good. Listen, young folks, please do not misunderstand what I'm saying. I want you to be good, and God wants you to be good. But being good carries something with it. And you will always have to watch your love for God and others. You will always have to watch your lack of humility or, your, or maybe a possible self-righteous spirit. And you will always have to work more at times on being thankful and not taking things for granted more than some of us that ruined our lives out in the world. So the warning is this. If you lack humility and love and thankfulness toward God and toward those that have helped you to be good, you will eventually continue not to be good. 
I heard Dr. Ruckman say something years ago, and I didn't understand it then, but now that I've pastored more and more years, I completely understand it. He said, many times when a person backslides on God, it is because they get upset with him about something, or bitter, and they get out of the will of God, and they go on and they do something. And I found that often to be the truth in, uh, in people's lives. They get sidetracked, and... Um, they get upset with God about something. And I've seen many a young people get bitter and angry. And what happens is they were good, just like you. Never fooled with sin, in a good church, got saved young, and under a good pastor, under a good youth pastor, under a good associate pastor, under a good ministry. And some kind of something gets a hold of them. And what happens is, see, all these things I preach to you about, this self-righteousness, lack of humility, lack of love, lack of thankfulness, that's not, that's not what you wear, your clothes and all that. I preach to you about things in your heart. But listen to me, young people. When we let the devil or the flesh or the world or whatever that is get a hold of our heart and, and we're absence of humility, we have an absence of love, we have an absence of thankfulness, it will not stay in your heart. And you'll be removed from being a good young man and a good woman. And you'll wind up out there being one of them bad ones that you used to look at. You understand what I'm saying? So that's the danger of being good. The danger of being good is if you let this stuff fester up in your heart, you won't remain good. Now I want you to understand that as I get ready to close here. Always remember that God saved you. And listen, this will help you. Three things and I'm finished. Number one, youth, always remember that God saved you and that Jesus Christ experienced just as much pain for your sin as he did the, wild, the vile, wicked man. If you can remember that, that he, that will help you to love him and focus more on him. That, hey, I caused Christ to hurt and to suffer and to spill his blood just as much as Charles Manson did. If you'll get to thinking about it like that, you can look at yourself maybe differently. Number two, always keep in mind that it is only the grace of God that you are clean and living right. It's not even anything you're doing. Most of you are clean and living right because of your pastor and your parents and the grace of God. And so if you remember that, you won't be nearly as quick to get... Uh, all prideful and jacked up about how good you think you are. And then number three, you need to continuously think about the goodness of God in your life because, listen, it is His goodness. It is His goodness, young people, and even any older people in here. It's His goodness that's made you good. You understand? And thank God for His goodness. That's the dangers of being good. I hope you remain good. I hope you finish out good. But you better be warned about these dangers. And it's not just these young people. It's us too. All right, every head bow and eye close. Every head bow and eye close. I have a unique perspective 
on what Brother Knowles was talking about. Not that I didn't make my own mistakes and not that I haven't failed plenty, because I have. I've been in this church since I was three or four years old. <laughs> uh, I, had, I had everything handed to me. And just like Brother Knowles talked about and his failures of his past before he was saved, our failures that we have now after we're saved affect us still. And he's right. Leaving off being good isn't the answer. I've had someone say, well, you know, if you don't experience that stuff, you don't know how to help. Bible gives you the answer to help those folks. You don't, you don't need to experience what they experience so you can help them. You can show them there's a better way. And the Lord is merciful and he's gracious and he's long-suffering, he's plenteous and mercies and he'll forgive and he'll restore and he'll help. But he's also a same God who can keep you from those things and remembering how good he has been and how merciful he's been. And part of his mercies is that you and I didn't have to deal with what they had to deal with. He's an amazing God. And he's amazing because you and I were just handed the blessings. And I preached a message a while ago on the danger that Solomon had because he was handed everything. He was given wisdom. He was given wealth. He was given power. He was given a kingdom secured. And he wasted portions and becomes a bitter man because he didn't want to heed any of the warnings that could have been given. Let's go ahead and stand. People have come already. Maybe you just need to come down and thank him because you hadn't been very thankful. But it is a true danger. You've heard me say this before. Brother Gibbs said it. He said, I think, most, I think one of the biggest problems Christians have is not the world, the flesh, or the devil getting after them. It's that God's just resisting them because they're too proud to get it out of the way and fix it. Father, I do thank you for the morning. I thank you for Brother Knowles and his wife being able to be with us for the weekend. I pray you'd bless them and give them safe travels home. But Father, right now, I pray you'd deal with our hearts. And help us to see maybe some areas we need to fix and some areas we need to keep an eye on and protect so that we stay in love and in good fellowship with our Savior. Father, we thank you and praise you this morning for your goodness and your mercies to us. We pray, Lord, you'd get to all the praise and the glory you're worthy. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.